right, so um, like Jared said, we're cousins. We, we grew up together. We hated each other as kids, but we love each other now. We're best friends, and I could not be more excited to be here. And here's what I want you to do, and I was thinking through how uh, what I was going to preach about, but here's what I want you to do. This is something that God's worked in me lately, and it's in the book of John chapter 11 that we're going to go through. So if you have your Bibles, you can open there. But what I want you to do to start off, I want you to think about when you were a kid. Okay, Um, And I want you to think about something that you desperately wanted, something that was like at the epicenter of your cortex, Okay, something that you asked your parents for, that you prayed about, that you maybe it was a puppy, maybe it was a Christmas present, maybe it was something that I don't know, I don't know what it is, but what is it something that you really, really wanted when you were younger? And for me, I know exactly what that is. See, I love baseball. Jared thinks I come out here to see him and Haley, but it's spring training. So that's why I come out here, okay? Just to see, you're the real reason. But I do, it's a win-win situation. I love going to baseball, and I've always loved baseball. And when I was 10 years old, I loved, I still do, the Texas Rangers. Okay, that's my baseball team, even though they're horrible. But at the time, Nolan Ryan was their pitcher, their best pitcher, and he was my favorite player. And I desperately wanted uh, Nolan, I wanted to meet Nolan Ryan and get his autograph. Okay, that was, and I was like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. I'm a 10 year, 10 years old, you know, my dad was a pastor and we didn't go to many games. And if we did, we were like way up in the nosebleeds. Like, how am I ever going to do this? Okay, but there's this one time where my dad got tickets from uh, some people from our church, and we were sitting right, uh, like three rows behind the dugout, okay? So me and my brother and a lot of other friends were there, and we were really just, you know, trying to get all these autographs and everything, and I just really wanted Nolan Ryan's autograph. And so he came out, and he actually, he he was going out to do his warm-ups and pitch and everything. He actually turned around to us, and he said, kids, hang on, I'll be right back, and I'll sign your stuff. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was just so excited. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm finally going to get Nolan Ryan's autograph. I'm going to be, my dream's going to come true. Came back in after a while, and, and honestly, he just completely forgot. And uh, the game ended. We waited like 30 minutes after the game. Like, no, Dad, I'm not going home, okay? Not going home. I'm going to sit here till he, he said he's coming back. And, and he never did. And, uh, and the reason I tell that story is because that was, that was a time that I really wanted something. And that was the first time at 10 years old, I remember being really disappointed. Okay. At wanting something, even praying for. And I even remember probably to some degree being disappointed at God. Like, God, I've been praying for this. This was the opportunity. And, and, and I thought I was going to get this autograph. And it never, ever happened. I remember being disappointed in God. And why I tell you that story, this was the first memory that I have of being very disappointed with God. Even at 10 years old, I was like, there is no God. You know, I was just kind of very upset. And if I said this prayer and then I I don't get it right away, then I'm I'm thinking, God, where are you? And, and you know, and today I can laugh at that uh, childhood moment of wanting something so bad that it kind of dominated my life. But... If I'm really honest, um, we haven't really outgrown that desire. And it, it's kind of changed. It's not autographs or toys or puppies or anything like that. But we constantly go to God and we constantly want something. And we constantly have this, this prayer, this thing that we're asking for. And sometimes we get disappointed when we don't hear 
from God. And I know I'm not alone in that. If you're like me, you simply replace your desire for a toy or a baseball player's autograph with something that's more age appropriate. Uh, you kept that same passion and longing, but you traded it for something that you believe to be a little more meaningful in your life. And so, um, you know, I was thinking about this. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know you. I don't know where you are spiritually. Some of you guys probably have it all together and you're like these spiritual giants. Another of us, some of you might not even know Jesus at all and you're just here kind of seeking him and investigating and that kind of thing. I don't know where you are. But what I do know is that there's something that we all desperately ask for. So I don't care where you are spiritually, but here's what I know about you, that there's most likely something in your life that you desperately want that the people around us have desperate prayers and longings for. Some of us pray for new jobs, better jobs, better careers. Some of us pray for our families just to get their act together. and Or maybe your marriage is struggling and we're really praying for that. A lot of us in here, we prayed this morning, we pray for physical healing, right? We have people that we know that are sick, have cancer, people that are hurting all the time, and we go to God and we pray and we pray and we pray, and then we ask, God, where are you? Where are you? Why haven't you answered this prayer? And a lot of people, we come here and we church like this, and we gather around all these people and we're with these people every Sunday, but the truth is a lot of us feel desperately alone. When not knowing what that prayer was. And so what I'm saying is, I'm saying that every one of us can identify with something that's important that we want to see happen, but truth be told, it's not coming together the way that we would write the script. And so let me make this more personal. Um, here's what I want you to ask you to do. You can write this down. You don't have to. Just think about it and you just put it in the front of your mind. I want you just to ask yourself right now, what is your desperate prayer? What is it? What is it that you're praying about that you desperately want? And um, while you're thinking about it, let me just tell you one of mine. A couple of mine, actually. Um, this past October, I have a son who's five and a daughter who's two now. But my daughter was in the hospital in October. Um, she's right around Wesley's age. And uh, she uh, got a virus in the hospital. She was really sick in October. And we're thinking, oh, it's no big deal that we went to the doctor. They just said, they just said, you know, just go home, let it ride out. It's a virus. There's nothing we can do. So that's what happened. We took her home. Next thing you know, I woke her up from her nap. She was breathing really rapidly, real heavily. And I, I just knew something was wrong. So we took her to the hospital. Like, you got to get her to Children's right away. Took an ambulance. And so, okay, what's going on? What's, what's wrong here? And so uh, she ended up having this major deadly virus that we ended up being in the hospital 18 days in the PICU uh, just because uh, she got so deathly ill. I mean, and there was this time where I was holding her about day nine in the hospital where she was kind of doing okay up to that point. But day nine in the hospital, I was holding her and she just crashed. She couldn't have, she didn't have any oxygen. And, and she, she just crashed. They had a, put her on a ventilator, and, and I just remember falling to my knees, and I just remember just crying out to God, and I just remember like, please save, I mean, that was my desperate prayer, you think I've prayed before, I have never prayed like I've prayed that night, for hours and hours, just sobbing and crying, like, God, where are you, and luckily, thank God, he healed her 18 days later, and now she's completely fine, 
Um, but that was one of my desperate prayers at the time, right? It was one of the things that I was, I was like, God, please answer this. Another one, my mom, she, my mom, uh, has had health issues for about 15 to 20 years now. And we caught, we've prayed thousands and thousands of times for my mom to get healed. And she seems to get worse every year, every year. And so there's these things that we pray for and sometimes we see them healed right away. And sometimes we don't see them answered right away. But what is it? What is it that you have? What is it that's your prayer? And it might be a physical situation. Maybe it's something else like I I mentioned. But what I want to do is throughout this message, I want you to have your desperate prayer in the front of your mind. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the Bible to see what happens when Jesus intercepts with someone's desperate prayer. And this, I think you're going to find hope for your prayer. And I, I, I know it did for me. I think actually you're going to be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. So if you have your Bible, the text is found in John 11. And this involves two sisters and a brother. It's Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And all three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are very, very close to Jesus. But Lazarus, you guys might know the story, Lazarus is very sick. And the sisters send word to Jesus that your friend Lazarus is sick and needs to be healed. And we're talking sick sick, like deathly ill sick. Okay, like death is knocking on Lazarus' door. And what's interesting to me is that when Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is sick, he surprises everybody. And you know what Jesus does? He does nothing. Okay, for two days, he does nothing. He's deadly sick, and Jesus takes his time. And as a matter of fact, by the time Jesus gets to Lazarus' house, Lazarus is dead. But here is a surprise. Some of you know the, know the story. Lazarus does not stay dead. Look in the Bible. Jesus says this. He says, Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even if he dies, he will still have life. But whoever believes in me shall not shall never die. Believe in me, and you will see the glory of God. And so, what I want to do is I want to take this story this morning. I want to see how we can apply this story to our life. And what I've done is I've taken the story, and i found a few things that I want to share with you. And uh, I have five things that I want to go through quickly that I see about Jesus that helps us in our desperate prayer in the life that we live in today. Number one is this. Jesus demonstrates a unique timing. Okay, He demonstrates a unique timing. It's surprising that he doesn't go to Lazarus right away. It might even be disturbing to some. I don't know. His friend is sick, and so you would think that he would kind of be in a rush, but he seems to be in no rush. And John 11, verse 5 through 7 says this, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea, go see Lazarus. So by the time he gets to Lazarus, it's been about four days. Scholars believe that it took probably a day for the messenger to find Jesus. Then he stayed there for two days. Then the messenger, a day to get back. And so four days. So you got to imagine, put yourself in Mary and Martha's desperate prayer. Jesus, our, our brother is sick. Our brother is hurt. Like he's about to die. Jesus, go, go find Jesus. Tell him that his friend Lazarus is about to die. And then they finally get to Jesus. And he says, you know what? Thank you for telling me this. I'm going to stay here for a couple days. What? Like, can you imagine their reaction to that? Like, like obviously it's Jesus and he knows what's going to happen, but they don't know that. And so, 
there's this desperate prayer for Mary and Martha. What is going on? Does he not care? Does he not love me because he's not showing up when I want him to show up? And what I want you to understand is that while Jesus' timing may be unique, he never stops loving us. He can't stop loving you because he's God and the character of God is love. That's what he is. And, and here's what I see with a lot of people. A lot of people say, oh God, I want you to show up in this area of my life, but I need you to do it by Monday afternoon at 3 p.m., okay? And if you don't, I'm going to put this deadline on you, God, and if you don't show up by then, then I'm just going to completely stop trusting you and stop. And that's not how trust works. You can't put time conditions and trust together, right? If we trust Jesus, we have to believe it's on his timing. He moves on his clock. He doesn't move according to what we want or when we want it. But God moves when he's ready to move because he's God. And so he displays this unique, unique timing. And what I'm learning in my life is that for me to trust Jesus, I must put my trust in his timing. And I'll have to admit, this is really difficult for me. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, God's on vacation, like he's not listening, like he's moving too slow. And, and I kind of look at it this way now. To walk with Jesus means I must trust the pace of his walk. If I'm going to walk with Jesus, I have to trust the timing of his walk, and I need to know that he never stops loving me along the way. And what we like to do a lot of times is like walk ahead of Jesus. And then we look, and he's not with us. I'm like, Jesus, where are you? And he's, we have to walk at his pace. We have to walk and just understand that he is walking with us. We have to trust in his timing. The second thing we learn about Jesus here in the story is that he offers a bigger life. Um, a bigger life. What he's saying is whatever your desperate prayer is, I know it's big for you. I know. I know, Martha, it's big to you. I know, Eric, you want this, but I offer you something so much bigger. And that's hard for us to understand when nothing seems bigger. Verse 20 says this. It says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, Lazarus had already died, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask, Jesus told her. Your brother, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And she had the small view and she gives her Sabbath answer, her, you know, synagogue answer she learned as a child that, yes, I know he's going to rise again, like in heaven. And, and Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And here's what I love about this. Martha actually has the courage to say what many of us feel to Jesus. She, she just went to Jesus and she just said, Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you show up? Why weren't you here? If only you had listened Lazarus would not be dead. But Martha had this little view, and, and you know, and you can't blame Martha for having this little view because in real life people don't people don't rise from the dead. And based on her experience, she had never seen that before. So she's got this little view going on, but Jesus is painting this bigger picture. Her little view meant eternal life, and she's thinking heaven. Yes, he'll rise again at the end of time, but Jesus was talking about eternal life, but he was also talking about now, because Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead. And for most of us, we have this limited view, and when we hear eternal life, a lot of us think 
it, it starts then when we die, okay? It starts, you know, our life with Jesus begins, and that's when everything's going to be great, okay? And a lot of us have this view as we think about the past, and we think that our sins are, have been forgiven, right? So that's, that's good. And then we think about the future. We're going to be in heaven with Jesus and everyone. That's, that's great. But a lot of us don't really live our Christian life now like we have the Holy Spirit living in us, like we have His power, Okay? And so um, some of us, I know so many Christians that, that say they're Christians and they say they have joy. And I just say, well, if you have joy, can you please inform your face? Because you have no sign of showing that you have joy in your life at all. You go around complaining all the time. You look miserable. You look. And here's what I'm saying. Life is hard. It's not going to be, you know, uh, ponies and rainbows and puppies and all this kind of stuff all the time. It's not going to be great all the time. But when you have the peace that passes all understanding living in you, when you have his joy in you, that needs to be expressed in the way that you live your life now. It's not about all the past. It's not about the future always. It's about now. Where is that now? Um, one of my favorite places to go in the world is Disneyland. Okay, I lived in California for 13 years, and we would always go to Disneyland and take our kids and um, some people think that's like not heaven. They think that's like the worst thing ever, okay? But I loved Disneyland, okay? And so what I want you to do, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but they have this big entrance part, okay? And it's nice, right? They have like a nice landscape, and they have a train that goes by, and they have some characters that come out, and music playing. And the entrance is nice and everything. But what would you do? Say this. Say I decided to give you a pass for life to Disneyland, okay? That'd be great. But say that all you ever did was stay in the entrance part. You never went anywhere else. You just, you loved it. It was nice. It was good. It was fine, whatever. But you never, you never went past the entrance. What would you tell someone if they were never going past the entrance? Say, go inside. I would say, you idiot, go inside, okay? Because here's why. There is something so much better once you go past the entrance, all right? There are rides, and there's food, and there's games, and there's so much fun. It's magical, right? And a lot of us in life, with this Christian life, we like to stay right here at the entrance, and we don't try to seek out and explore the kingdom of God. We don't try to go and explore the kingdom. And sometimes, I want to say to people who call themselves Christians... You're not experiencing what God has for you. You're not experiencing true joy. You're not experiencing true life. The kingdom of God is not just when you die. The kingdom of God is now. And you're missing out on this incredible adventure called life and living with Jesus. So he asked, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Eric? Do you believe this, whoever? Just insert your name there. The kingdom is now. And here's what it says in Ephesians 3. It says this. It says, I pray that... From his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Ephesians 1 says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power, track with me, that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power available to you and to me. The same power that Jesus used to raise Lazarus from the dead is the same power that's available to me now. 
yes, I will take some of that power. We have His power in us. And so what does that mean? Like I said, life isn't always great. I know we're going to struggle and feel lonely or defeated or scared at times, but if we truly believe in the power that is in us, our lives need to show that. And I, I, I struggle with that myself sometimes. I remember back like in high school and college, they would call me Eeyore, you know, from Winnie the Pooh, like, woe is me, because I would just go around complaining and just sad all the time, and I learned that that's not the best way to live. You see, your power is limited, my power is limited, but if you could have changed things in yourself, you would have done it by now, but our power is limited, but the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, is made available to us right now. Jesus says, I have such a bigger view of life for you. Follow me into the kingdom. Quit staying around the entrance. Follow my teachings. Put them into practice in your life. Obey them. Quit relying on your own power. And a lot of us, we do that too much. We rely on our own power. Third thing that Jesus kind of reveals, he reveals a heart that breaks. He reveals a heart that breaks. John eleven thirty five. we all know that verse. A lot of us do. Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, right? But it says this, started in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Martha, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. And I love this, that God in the flesh, God God the, of the universe wept. Jesus was sad, but, but why? Did he weep? Why was he weeping? Is it, was it because Lazarus was dead? I don't think so. He knew he was about to raise him from the dead. Um, I think Jesus wept because the scripture says he saw her weeping. And his heart broke for the pain in Martha's heart. His heart broke for those who were grieving and mourning. The pain they were experiencing broke the heart of Jesus. The compassion he had was overwhelming. For some of you, your desperate prayer is not being answered the way you want it. And you think your prayer is not being answered because we're not good enough. Or maybe we sin too much. Or, or we have some warped view of why our prayers aren't being answered. And God is looking at us with compassion. And He is weeping with us because He loves us. And, you know, He's not a scorekeeper. And He's not just sitting up there taking tabs of who's sinning and who's not. But I want you to hear this, is that He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And His heart breaks when our heart breaks. And when you see... What you see in Jesus, we see the character of God and that he feels your pain and his heart is breaking alongside yours and that's what he does. And some of you might be asking, well, why isn't he answering my prayer? And to be honest, I really don't know. It goes back to his timing. I don't know why God answers some quick and some not so quick. I don't understand it all. I have a very limited view, just like all of us. But what I do know is that Jesus has compassion the Greek word for that is splagnitsomai or something like that. And it means for your bowels to yearn. Okay, it just means you have this pit this, this in your gut, this, this actual physical feeling of hurting when others hurt. And Jesus saw that Martha was hurting. He saw that she was weeping. And he started to just weep. When your heart breaks, Jesus' heart breaks. Fourth thing we see here is that Jesus displays a power that transforms. 
I'm almost done, Riley. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is a power that transforms. When I was a child, my mom always told me, Eric, don't ever stick a bobby pin in the light socket. Okay? And I remember thinking, I never thought of that before, but now you have given me this idea. Thanks, Mom. Okay? And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll, what would a kid do right away when they're like, don't do this? You, as a kid, you want to go do that, right? So I remember one time, you know, I, uh, I, I did that, and I remember sticking in there and, and messing with it, and one day I just remember getting like this electric shock kind of deal, all right? And it was this power that, it shocked me, for sure. But that's what power does, it shocks people, right? Power transform, it shock, it shocks you. And so, Jesus delivers, obviously, a different type of power. In verse 39, he says this, Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, has he been dead? Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. All right? So it says right there, dead for four days, smell will be terrible. If you look in the King James Version of the Bible, it actually says he stinketh, okay? Which I think is kind of funny that the Lord... Says he stinketh. Okay. But anyway, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grace clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And anytime I read God's word, especially when I'm trying, when I'm reading about Jesus, I actually try to put myself into this context of the story. And I try to put myself in the story so that I feel it, so I sense it and all this. And I try to imagine between the time Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, and when Lazarus came out, what was happening. And there had to be some, you know, delay between him shouting and Lazarus coming out. Did Martha believe? Did anyone believe that he was actually going to come out? Were some mocking, were some doubting, and then all of a sudden, boom. The question for us is not, did Jesus have the power? The question is, do you believe? And do you believe enough to trust Him with your life? Do you believe in the power of Jesus? I'm almost done. Fifth and final thing is that Jesus calls the community to help. One of the many things that brings me great joy being a follower of Jesus is that I don't have to do it alone. In this last verse we're going to look at, there are nine words in this verse, but there's one word that is easy to overlook, but it's so powerful. And it says this, it says, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And I know, read that over and over again, we just kind of look past that. But I look at that word, Jesus told them. What's the key word there? It's them. He told the community. He told the friends and the family of Lazarus. He invited the community to get involved. Why, why would Jesus do that? He's the one that did the miracle. He's the one that raised him from the dead. So why would he not go unwrap the cloth? Why would he ask other people to help? Because I, I believe he really wanted them to get involved, to see the miracle up close, to see what the power Jesus did take place. So they went up and they unwrapped him. I don't know why, but I really believe he just wanted to get close to their once dead friend. When I was single, I lived with four other guys and we, I used to be 
try to work out as much as I could, and I try to work out now still, but I just, it's hard to do it alone, right? I give up all the time, like I'll start Monday, and then I work out, and uh, I give up, and I'll start Monday, but when I, the best shape I ever was in was about like 10 years ago, I lived with four other guys, and we all worked out together, and it was so fun because we all uh, were working out together, lifting weights together, whenever one of us would have like this breakthrough, we would cheer each other on, right? We'd be like, yes, you can do it, come on! And it actually motivated us and encouraged us. And we were so happy. And we, we went through all these different obstacles. But we all conquered them because of the help of others. And right now, I, I just married and work out alone. So I just you know get fatter and fatter and stuff like that. But I'm just not in shape. But I realized how powerful it was to have people involved in my life that could help me. And I think it's the perfect situation for a church like this called One Community Church, right? That we, you guys, we are in this together as a church. You're in this together as one. You know, his pain is, you know, if, if, if he has a pain, he has so many people that can help him. If someone over here has trouble, you guys can pray for them. We are one family, right, as a church, And what we do is we try to go through this Christian life alone. We try to do this. But Jesus is saying, no, get involved in the community. Get involved in the church. Get involved and help each other out. Pray for each other. Serve each other. Be there for each other. And we're like, no, we're just going to sit back and and I'm going to see what the church has for me. But I'm not going to step in and help. And that is not what God wants. God wants us to get out of our comfort zone, to get out and to go unwrap the cloth, to get up close, to see the miracle of what God wants. And I'm just begging you as a guest here who's been here at this church two times, okay? This is, this is the same message though for every church, alright? I'm not picking on you guys, okay? But we just need to be the church. We're the body. We need to, you need to be the arm. You need to be the mouth. You need to be the toe. You need to be, you know, one time I broke my pinky toe, okay, a couple years ago. This is random. I didn't, it's not even in my notes, okay? But I broke my pinky toe, and you would think that the world ended. I couldn't walk for like two weeks because of my pinky toe. And the thing is, when something small like that goes down, the whole body can go down. Right? We are here to encourage each other, to pick each other up, to help each other. One cannot work without the other. And Jesus calls the community to help. He called them to get involved. Jesus calls the community help. We started this conversation with me asking you about your deepest longing, deepest prayer. And while I can't promise you that God will answer your prayer, that you may want Him to answer your prayer, I can promise you from my experience and from stories of many others that that Jesus, He may surprise you. He'll never disappoint you, but He will always keep His promise. About ten years ago, I I was living in California, but I went back home to see family. And my sister and brother-in-law invited me to a ranger game. I said, sure, I'll go to a ranger game. It's been years since I've been to one. And they actually had the suite. Like my brother-in-law bought the suite for all of us. I'm like, this is nice. Let's stay in the suite. This is great. Free food, everything. This is awesome. And then about halfway through the game, 
my brother-in-law somehow knew him because his suite was one over. But he said, Eric, I want you to meet someone. Okay. I didn't know who he was talking about. Walk out of the suite, walk down the hallway. Nolan Ryan sitting right there. And my jaw just drops. Like, what? (laughs) I couldn't believe it. My childhood hero was right there. And my brother-in-law handed him a baseball. And he signed that baseball. My brother-in-law gave it to me. Said, this is for you. And so my 10-year-old dream or promise of something that I wanted, a, a, a baseball signed by Nolan Ryan, I was so disappointed. I was so mad at God because I didn't get Here I am, 25 years later, 20 years later, whatever it was, and Nolan Ryan personally is handing me a baseball. What I wanted to do is I wanted to just tear into him and say, hey, you promised me you were going to come back when I was 10, and you didn't, and I've gone the last 20 years. No, I I was so grateful, so happy. And I actually have that baseball sitting in my office, in my church office in Fort Worth, because it might sound silly. Now, was that God answering my prayer? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But what I do is I have that baseball sitting in my office, and I look at it every now and then. When God is silent, or, or for some reason I need to know that He's faithful, I look at that baseball, and it reminds me that, that God always is faithful. He's always faithful. And it might be 20 years later that your promise is answered, right? It might be 25 years later. It might be, it, I don't know. But it reminds me that God is always faithful. And what I want you to do is I want you to take your eyes off your desperate prayer. And I want you to focus your eyes onto the one hearing the prayer. Jesus. Because when you focus on Jesus, you won't be disappointed. And you may even be surprised. His timing is surprising. His offer of a bigger life is surprising. His empathy and love and and tears that he sheds for you is surprising. His power that He gives you and me access to is surprising. And His plans to use other people to come into your lives is surprising. What is that desperate prayer? Don't look at it. Look at Jesus. and Be a part of this one community church to help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that uh, in our confusion and doubt and fear and worry that You never stop loving us. My prayer for this church of incredible people is that we would grasp your bigger picture for our lives and put our trust in you. And then we'd express that trust by following you and your teachings and your ways. And so, Lord, today we recommit to rely on your power to live out your presence in our lives. We pray that we'd be different people when we leave here today. Lord, help us think of that desperate prayer and help us just to realize, Lord, that you have that prayer in your mind, that you passionately love us, that you're heart is breaking with us, that you work in your timing, and that you have a community of people to help, and you have a power that transforms. You're an amazing God, and we just love you. I just thank you for this story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.